Hey everybody, welcome to episode 24 of the Hashtag Hey Kerwin Show. In this episode, we go deep, we go wide, we go fast. I have no idea where we're going to go. I haven't even looked at the questions. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. We're going to go to Joshua Clifton. Joshua Clifton, how hey. are you, Cliffy? Hey Kerwin. Hey, Josh. Biggest regret for myself has been self-sabotage. The moment I get to a big goal, I normally bail or get two no's to follow through. Why do people self-sabotage? Look, self-sabotage is a primal behavior that typically relates to the response of the, the response to the fear that we anticipate, in most cases at an unconscious level, about how we'll be perceived if we actually succeed. You see, a lot of people don't realize that you know, a lot of our success is based on, uh, sorry, a lot of our potential to succeed is based on the reflection that we have for what success means to us. You know, I, I used to experience this when I was a personal trainer, like many, many moons ago, like 20 plus years ago, I was a personal trainer. And there were two types of personalities that I used to train. Personality A would come in. I think I've spoken about this before. Personality A would come in. Uh, you know, she'd be an overweight woman, typically work with women, overweight, wanting to lose weight. And I put her on the, you know, I take her through an assessment, put her on the bike, she'd start to warm up. And then a beautiful girl would walk in and then she would just start spinning venom, like just towards me, just to me, towards her. Oh my God, she's, she looks like a slut. Oh my God, I can't believe she wears it. Like just this enormous levels of judgment. But what was interesting is that was the representation of what she wanted. That was the representation of how she would have liked to have seen herself. And she was throwing an enormous level of rejection towards that. And then the, the second type of personality that I'd work with would be the type of personality whereby when they saw that same girl walk into the, into the gym, there'd be massive adoration, massive appreciation, massive levels of love and acceptance and you know, real appreciation at a very high level. But personality number one would be the type of personality that would self-sabotage. You know, I'd be six weeks in and I'd lose four kilos. You know, I'd go home on a Friday night feeling very good because they've lost their four kilos. They'd come in Monday morning looking guilty as sin and I'd say, oh, you're looking a little bit guilty, a little bit bloated. What happened? And I'd say, well, a friend came over on Saturday night. One bought chocolate cake, one bought pizza, one bought wine, you know, one bought fucking chicken wings. And, uh, you know, those four kilos that I lost, yeah, well, I ended up putting on five because uh, not only did I have it on Friday night, it followed over into Sunday as well. And I completely figged out because I thought, oh, what the hell, I've cheated, I may as well go all out. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to the reflection of how we see our, how we see what it is that we want from a social perspective. You know, because if you see something that you want, like success, for example, and you start becoming consciously aware of what that means to you, and in Australia, we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome, you know, where people see successful people and they spit venom towards them. They spit a lot of rejection towards them. What you've got to understand as a mammal, and one of our number one drivers is connection and collaboration. And the way that we connect to others and avoid rejection is by maintaining social herd, maintaining social values. And you know, if your social herd and the social values of the herd are to throw rejection towards people who are in a successful situation or you know, have achieved some level of success, chances are you will adopt that type of thinking. You'll adopt that type of psychology. And the key is to really become aware of when you see success, what is the, what is the internal reflection? When you see success, are you genuinely excited and happy for people? Or does it bring up some level of resentment? Do you start to resent them? Do you start to judge them? Do you start to say things like, well, they probably screwed people up. They're probably a tyrant. They probably lied. They probably cheated. They steal. In Australia, we love the Aussie battler. We really do until he's rich and successful. Then he's a drug dealer and pedophile. You know, because when we look at self-sabotage, self-sabotage in many cases is a correction behavior. It's a behavior that is initiated as a result of you getting too close to something that's considered socially unacceptable by either yourself or those around you or both. And so, because in most cases... You know, we prevent, you know, we correct ourselves from doing the things that will 
remove the connection from the social herd. And if at an unconscious level you associate becoming successful with having people reject you because of the rejection you put towards others when you see them in the same scenario or because of the rejection you see others throw towards those people in the same scenario, it makes great sense that when you get closer to the things that you want that you'll sabotage and you'll fuck it up on some level because that's your self-protection mechanism. That's your self-protection mechanism that is there that by design to protect you from experiencing some form of rejection. So the reality is you need to start examining your beliefs you need to start examining your perspective. You need to start examining your relationship with what success means. But you also need to start becoming aware of what success means to those that you're around and start looking at the herd that you're with and start seeing if there's any indications from them that there could be a level of rejection thrown towards you if you were to achieve greater levels of success than what you do right now. Because you're either sabotaging yourself to correct your behaviors for the herd or you're sabotaging your success to correct your behaviors for your own sense of self or you're doing it for both. And the more you can understand about both of those scenarios, the easier it is going to be for you to move forward and find the herd whereby you will actually, in situations where the opportunity, okay, this, rather than self-sabotage, you will literally self-select into the behaviors that are required in order to succeed because that's what will be expected from the herd. And if you don't, that could cause possible rejection. So you end up self-correcting uh, because self-sabotage, it's really self-correction. But the correction that you're doing is correcting you from going in the direction that either you unconsciously don't want to go in because of the representation that that achievement represents, or you're trying to prevent yourself unconsciously from going where this, your social herd don't want you to go. So again, the self-correction really just needs to be set up in the right way by surrounding yourself with a herd whereby the right thing to do or the correction will be orientated towards doing what it is that's required, and then start examining, examining, examining your own relationship with success becoming very intimate with your own experiences, your own feelings that come up to you when you observe people who are experiencing some level of success and start deframing it if it's negative, okay? Kick off the frame and then start reframing it in a positive way to start creating a self-association or a high level of acceptance, a high level of appreciation, a high level of love towards seeing people in that situation. And that naturally over time will cause correct and create corrective behavior that will lead you to doing the right activities and doing the right behaviors versus the wrong ones. Self-sabotage is just self-correction. Question from Face Value Skin Care Studio. Face Value. Hey Kerwin, I've seen how you structure your time based on priorities, but can you give us a glimpse of your daily or weekly schedule? Now, a lot of people have asked me that. Can I have a look at you? It is so different and it looks different every time. And, you know, I once had someone ask me this at an event, you know, what does your schedule look like? They asked my, my PA, what does your schedule look like? And her honest response was, it looks different every week. But what I will say is, is if you saw it, you would pass out. Um, and all I can say is this, if you look at my diary, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm, I won't necessarily show my diary because it's probably more than likely got sensitive information in there, but what I will tell you is it's just very full. And by full, I mean every minute of the day just about is completely structured to ensure that no matter what is going on, I know exactly where to go. I don't have free time in my diary. You don't need to see what's in my diary in order to see how my day is structured. All you need to know is my time is scheduled from the moment that I get here pretty much until the moment that I leave. I have very few breaks, okay, because I don't need them. I have a break for lunch, which oftentimes is me actually having a meeting. Um, and I like to have my time scheduled. By the way, I don't even schedule my own time anymore. It is scheduled. My time is scheduled by the support people I have around me to ensure that I'm meeting with the people and completing the, the, the tasks on a daily basis, the goals on a weekly basis, and the priorities on a quarterly basis that enable me to move forward based on the priorities that I have for that year and the mission that I'm moving for towards in that decade. So for me, you know, it's not, I don't think me showing your diary is really going to give you fucking anything. Like I do give people a copy of my diary when they come to nail and scale it. But all I'm going to, all you will see is a diary that is full. Okay, I'll show you a whole list of tasks, but those tasks are irrelevant because my tasks are going to be different to your tasks. 
What I will tell you is from the moment I get here to the moment I leave, my task is structured. And what I will tell you is I hate it when there's not when it's not. Because if the moment I come out of an appointment, I what what do I need to do? And you know, if Marin says to me, Well, you don't have an appointment in 20 minutes, I'm like literally like a fucking lost puppy. And I just start walking around and I use those times as opportunities to connect with the rest of the team and the talent and also do things like video approvals. So here's what I'll tell you. My diary is sick, okay? It's crazy, but I have develop myself and I've conditioned myself over an extended period of time to be able to deal with high and higher levels of intensity and pressure and workload so that I can literally work in some cases for you know one week, two weeks, in some cases up to seven weeks straight in a very highly structured, highly disciplined, high pressure scenario, but be able to do it in a functional and very healthy environment. But what I'll say is don't worry about what I'm doing, worry about what you're doing and look at what you need to do in order to move to the next level. And the things I tell you is start to structure your day, start to set three tasks, start to set five goals for yourself. Because I have five goals every week, I have three tasks every day, but I surround them with enormous other levels of activity. But my advice to you is start having five goals that you're working on every day, sorry, every week. Start making, actually no, step that back. Start working on you know, a series of priorities that you're working towards every single year. You know, prioritize a series of three to five priorities that you're working on every year into to every quarter. Like big priorities, big chunks. Break those down on a weekly basis into five goals. So you're focusing on five goals that relate to three to five of those priorities that you're working on every single year, every single quarter. And then every day, break down from those five goals, three tasks every day that relate to those five goals that you're working on every week. And if you can do that, your time will be structured, your time will be ordered, you better get more done in a day than most people can get done in a week. Like I can do more in a day than most people can do in a week, in some cases two weeks. For some people, it's probably a month because I literally do structure my time so specifically, surgically. Yeah, get into it. Ram Doyle on Facebook. Hey, Ram. Do we satisfy a desire if we know that it would lead to suffering? If no, then is is it not still suffering to live with an unsatisfied desire? Life is pain. Suffering is optional. Look, um, what we've got to understand, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole, uh, whole root of addiction is uh, based around indulging in desires to a point where you know, it alleviates suffering to a point where it actually creates more suffering than it actually alleviates in the first place. You know, I think it's really important that we start to really understand our relationship with suffering and what suffering is. Because suffering is just a perspective. It's just a point of view. It's just a, you know, a mental position that we take based on the circumstances that we're in, which can often be alleviated by just by balancing out the scenario and looking at what the benefit is of us not satisfying the desire. You know, and this is coming from someone who's been addicted to, you know, to substance. And you know, I've been addicted to, to substances that alleviate when you know, that, that alleviate desire, but ultimately cause more problems than what they're worth. And so for me, you know, I've had to learn how to balance that out, balance my perspective out, balance my behaviors out in a way where, yeah, sure, I may not be indulging in having my desires fulfilled, okay, which creates on some level a level of suffering because, oh, I do want to get high. But on the other hand, you know, I'm able to experience much higher levels of clarity, much higher levels of discipline, much higher levels of order, much higher levels of success as a result of that clarity. So the balance is always there. It's just asking the right questions and balancing out your perspective. But suffering is optional. It's just a point of view. It's a perspective. And if you ask the right questions, anything that is producing any level of suffering can be balanced out just by putting it in a different position. Anthony Zazado. Hey. Hey, Kerwin, what if you feel like you have a purpose, but in no way is it money related? That's fine. Look, I honestly believe that every purpose on some level can be commercialized, but not every purpose is meant to be. And here's the thing, if it is a true purpose and it's not commercial, but your desire is to make more money, then you need to really examine your own desires and you know, your own purpose to see if it is actually you know, what it is that you want to do. But for me, I don't think there's any, any purpose that I've ever been able to look at that I haven't on some level been able to look at and look at a way to commercialize it. 
And I'm being able to commercialize something really just looks at how is it me, how is me doing what I'm doing adding value to such a level where I'm solving problems or is it of significant enough value where people would actually transact with me in a scenario of fair exchange based on the value of my purpose and what it is that I do and the problems that I solve in order to create some form of an income. You know, everything has a value. It's just finding the people by which it gives value to and by being able to define the problems that you solve and being able to calculate the value of the problems that you solve for the individual that you're offering to. And then there's a scenario there where you actually have monetary value for what it is that you do. Then you just need a sales process to be able to actually deliver it, execute it, and uh, transact. Final question. Ralph Rufu. Hey, Ralph. Hey, Cohen. How do you deal with firing a member of staff and how do you keep your composure? Look, I always prefer when it comes to removing team members to have them self-select. Like firing someone is unpleasant for me, it's unpleasant for them. Uh, it can be psychological, it can cause some levels of trauma for some people when they get let go from a position. So wherever possible, I like to help people if they don't, you know, if, if they're not performing in the role, if they don't fit within the culture for whatever reason, I always like to sit down with them and, and ask a series of questions that helps them realize the scenario that they're in so that they can make the decision themselves so that they can actually have a situation whereby rather than me firing them which could be you know traumatic and disempowering them i'd rather put them in a situation where they can come to the conclusion themselves through coaching so that they can resign on their own volition and actually use it as an opportunity to become empowered use it as an opportunity to become stronger use it as an opportunity to really assert themselves in the world and you know provide themselves with a level of demonstration of, wow, I am actually a lot more confident. Because a lot of people don't resign from their job because they're too afraid. They're too afraid of either the confrontation or they're too afraid of the unknown. But what they've got to understand is if someone doesn't is, shouldn't be in your organization, the sooner you let them go, the sooner they're going to be able to find what it is that they're meant to do. And the longer we hold them back, the more of a disservice we're actually doing to them. You're robbing them from their life. You're robbing them from fulfillment. You're robbing them from happiness by keeping them around. So for me, I always prefer to help sit them down and help them come to the realization themselves so that they can actually make the decision to do it in an empowered way that builds confidence, that sets them on a journey to be more empowered to find what it is that they're meant to do with their life in the first place. You know, I don't think, um, you know, your fire is necessarily the right way to do things, but in some situations and scenarios, it has to be done, especially, you know, if it's a culturally destructive, destructive situation and they have to go quickly. And in scenarios like that, I just keep my cool because, like, to me, you know, there's nothing more stressful than, <laughs> than being in a counter-terrorism raid in Ukraine in the middle of summer when you've been mistaken for a terrorist and everything else is quite easy in comparison. Trust me, I've been there. Um, so for me, the way that I keep my composure is by using the tools that I teach, you know, maintaining levels of uh, regulation when it comes to my emotions and using breath and using, you know, questions to balance my composure. But ultimately I focus on the understanding that by keeping someone in here that doesn't belong here, I'm, I'm doing them a great disservice. And, you know, whether I'm having to walk someone out on the spot or have bring them to their own conclusion, the fundamental is the longer I keep them in this environment, the longer I'm holding them back from fulfilling their true potential. And then for me, what's there to get upset about? You know, if they start getting personal, they don't mean it. They're just hurt. They're just upset. That's okay. People say and do stupid things all the time. I'm pretty sure you, Ralph, have done and said stupid things at different times. God knows I have had my fair share. So when people do lash out and lash back in scenarios where there might be some level of confrontation or ego involved, you know, I just try and bring empathy. I try and bring compassion. I try and be understanding for the situation. Because if I am, am having to let someone go on the spot, I do understand it is disempowering. It can be upsetting and it can feel, you know, painful. And so rather than trying to fight pain with pain, which only creates more pain, then show compassion, show empathy and say things like, you know what, I can see you're upset and I, I can understand why. You know, I can see why you're disappointed. I can understand why. I totally get it. I've been fired myself. I totally get it. I just hope that you understand that I'm doing this because I genuinely can. I hope you realize that now you can actually go out and find what it is that you would ultimately love to do. And I'm doing this because 
You know, I might sit, I might, I know it might sound like a weird way to, 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 to demonstrate it, but I'm doing it because I actually care. I care about myself, I care about my organization and my culture, but I also do care about you, and that's why I'm letting you go, because this isn't the right fit for you, you're not the right performance, whatever it is, and, and I let them go. It doesn't have to be a traumatic thing, and in many cases, it will be the very thing that, you know, puts them on a journey that uh, could have them coming back three years from now, shaking your hand and saying, thank you so much for firing me, because if it wasn't for you firing me, I wouldn't have found this. Perfect. That's episode 24 of that Hey Kerwin show. Question of the day, what is your dream job? If you're not doing it right now, if you are doing it right, I don't know, I am curious. If you could do anything in the world, whether it be an astrophysicist, astronaut, astro boy, I'm not sure, let me know below. And for those of you who are already in your dream job, if you weren't doing what you were doing now, what would be your plan B? Not that you should have one, but I'm curious to know. For me personally, I'd be in dog psychology. I train dogs. If I wasn't doing what I was doing right now, I would definitely be training dogs. What would you be doing if you were not doing what you're doing right now? Or what is your dream job? Let me know below. Hashtag Hey Kerwin. Ask your questions. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn, and even smoke signals. You can even go and stand outside my office and hold a sign if you want to. Hashtag Hey Kerwin. And your questions about anything. You ask the questions, I give the answers. Say I am up for me. Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.